I would venture to say probably no one is more loved than our mothers. I am always amused when a football game is going on and the athletes become aware that they are on camera and they turn, wave, and say, hi, mom. And I wonder why they never say, hi, dad. But there is no one who has a greater place in our hearts, I suppose, than our mothers. It is obvious that Jesus loved his earthly mother. I say that for many reasons, one being that when he was dying on the cross for our sins, he gave the assignment to John to take care of mother. So in his suffering there on the cross, he paused to remember his mother. My mother is with the Lord, however, I have many wonderful memories of her. She taught me to love God. In fact, the first song I ever learned was taught to me by my mother, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. My mother instilled within me a certain confidence in that she constantly told me when I was a child, Wendell, you can do anything you want to do. And I believe that up until I got in algebra, and then I thought she might have been wrong about that. Linda says that my stubbornness comes from my mother, and I suppose that it does, but I'm grateful for her and the contribution that she made to my life. I also admire a great deal my children's mother. Linda, is uh, she may not be orthodox in a lot of ways, and I'm, I'm glad of that because she fits with me. But she is a wonderful, wonderful mother, and I thank the Lord for her. As much as we love our mothers, however, we all understand that they are not perfect. Now, we wouldn't say that today generally, but we understand that they are not perfect. It is interesting to me within the genealogy of Jesus recorded in Matthew chapter 1, there are four women whose names are mentioned. They are a part of Jesus' genealogy. They were not perfect women. First of all, there was Tamar. Tamar, in the genealogy of Jesus, had an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law. Then there's Rahab. Rahab was a harlot in Jericho. There was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman, therefore she was not allowed to be a part of God's kingdom people. And then there was Bathsheba. Bathsheba had an affair with King David. So when we look at the women that are mentioned there in Matthew chapter 1, within the genealogy of Jesus, I am sure that they were loved, but they were not perfect. Today I want us to look at the mother of James and John. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse number 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, 
but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Now, the interesting thing to me about this story as it's recorded here is that usually this woman is criticized when the story is read. I will have you to notice Jesus did not criticize her. He said there's going to be a cost that's involved, but Jesus did not criticize her. As we look at this mother, I think there are some characteristics that uh, will be a blessing to you and that would encourage you as a mother. The first being that mothers believe in their children. As a matter of fact, for most of us, probably we would say the first person to really believe in us was our mother. Now, Salome believed in her sons. Her name is not mentioned in the story. However, by comparing Scripture with Scripture, we conclude that this was Salome. She was married to Zebedee. Zebedee was a successful businessman. He was a fisherman. And John and James were involved in the family business until they became disciples of Jesus. She was faithful. She was faithful in her commitment to the Lord. When Jesus was crucified, she was standing nearby. When Jesus rose from the grave, Salome was there with the other women. I believe that she was a, a good mother. She, she valued her sons. John and James were valuable to her, and she believed in them. Look there in verse number 21. He said to her, what do you want? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Now, obviously, she had high regard for her sons. She said, Jesus, I want one of them to be on the right hand and I want one of them to be on the left hand. So she valued her sons. She believed in her sons. You see, mothers value their children. They see them as gifts from God. Most of the time, they see them as gifts from God. And that's the reason that it, that it is such a conflict for us if we hear the story about a mother who has abused her child. I'm sure you are just like I, and that is difficult for me to grasp. That is hard for me to get hold of because that's not a mother. That's not what mothers do. Mothers value their children, and they see the potential within the child. A mother believes in her children just as Salome did. You know what I think? I think largely when a mother values her children, believes in her child that that child will do everything he or she can to live up to the belief of that mom. Set a high standard for your children. Believe in your children. Believe the best of them. And that's the reason that with Linda and me, we have never allowed ourselves or any others to refer to our children by saying that they are liars, for instance. Now, I said they tell a lie now and then. But if you, t if you say that they are liars, then that's who they become. And so we, we believe in our children. We believe the best in our children. And as we believe the best of them, I think that they will try to become what we believe. Mothers want the best for their children. Peter Drucker wrote, Leadership is not a magnetic personality. That can just as well be a glib tongue. It is not making friends and influencing people. That is flattery. Leadership is lifting a person's vision to higher sights. 
the raising of a person's performance to a higher standard, the building of a personality beyond its normal limitations. Is that not what mothers do? That's what mothers do. They lift their children to a higher standard. They have a higher expectation of their children. And we see that with Salome. Now, the Bible here tells us about their encounter with Christ in verse number 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him, came to Jesus. She came to Jesus. And the reason I think that is important, as it is stated, is this. Our children are impressed far more by what they see us do rather than what they hear us say. The Bible says that she came to Jesus, and that had an impact, I think, on these boys. I think the same thing is true with Timothy. Timothy was a follower of Jesus Christ, but it began back with his mom. The scripture says in 2 Timothy 1, verse number 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, within Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. You see, you see that, ladies? Paul says, Timothy, I, I am so excited to see the faith that is in you, but I recognize that before it was in you, it was in your mom and it was in your grandmother. And Timothy had observed that. He had watched that. And so he followed Jesus because he had observed that within his own mother. So the Bible says that Salome came to the Lord. Now verse number 20 again. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. It's far better to bring them than it is to send them. You see, as I look at Salome, she believed in Jesus, had a relationship to Jesus. And she wanted her sons to. She wanted her sons to know her Savior, the one who had changed her life, would change their life. Salome wanted her sons to experience the power of the Lord and the direction of the Lord. God had guided her, now he would guide her sons. So she came with her sons to Jesus. Now verse number 21, there's a question. And he said to her, what do you wish? Oh, I thought about that this past week. If someone were to ask you that question, what do you wish for your children? What would you answer? What do you want for your children? What would you answer? Well, some of you would probably say, well, I, I would like for, for them to have a good education. That's really important. It's important to me. If they are going to be if they are going to be successful in life, it is important that they have a good education. And because that's what you desire, you want them to have an education, then you are willing to make some sacrifices to bring it about. And so you spend time helping your child with homework. You get involved in their school activities. You give them experiences that help them, that position them for a good education because that is the thing that is important to you and that's a good thing. Some of you might say, well, you know, I want my child to be successful. I want them to be prosperous in life. And so you try to provide opportunities for them that they are going to be successful and prosperous in life. Some of you might say, you know, I'd really like for my, for my child to be accepted socially. I want them to be a part. I want them to be involved. 
I, I saw, you might have seen it on the news not long ago, there was a, uh, a, a mother, I'm not sure where she lived, but her daughter was running for prom queen, and so she bought a billboard to promote her daughter for prom queen. Now, I understand that, and I thought, well, that might be a little bit over the top. But what do you want? What do you want? When it comes to your children, what do you want? Let me ask you a question. What are your spiritual desires for your children? Now, we want them to have an education. That's important. We want them to be accepted. That's important. We want them to be successful. That's important. But let me ask you, and I want you to think with me for a minute. Do you have spiritual desires for your children? What are your spiritual desires for them? And Salome had them. In verse number 21, she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you may fault this woman for the way that she did things, but you've got to give her credit that she wanted something spiritual for her sons. At least that's the way I see it. I admire her for the fact that she wanted them to be involved in the kingdom of God. Do you have spiritual desires for your children? Now, certainly you're going to say yes, but do you really? Do you have spiritual desires for your children? Is it really important to you that your children know Jesus as Savior? Always blesses my heart when I see a, a mom and a dad bringing their children during the invitation. And I know that there has been some work and example in that home back there, but bringing them to the Lord. Do you have a real burden on your heart that your children know Jesus? Susanna Wesley said, I refuse to go to heaven without my children. Do you have that kind of a burden, a passion for your children? You want to see them saved? Do you want them to have a Christian? Well, whenever they get married, I want them to marry somebody who's got some money, right? Now, that's more for the guys. You know, whenever the girl brings a guy home and says, I'd like, to see his, I'd like to see his banking account. Do you want them to marry someone who's saved? Is that, first in, is that the first passion that you have for your child when they get married? That they marry someone who's a Christian? But well, then you ought to be praying for them now. I mean, these little children that were dedicated, the families were dedicated up here today. Parents, be praying for your children now and be praying for their mate now. Someone that they're going to marry down the way. Pray that that person will be a Christian. How would you respond if God called your son or your daughter into Christian service? Now, really and truly. God were to call yours to be a preacher or a missionary or minister of music or something. In the first church that I pastored, I've told you this before, the first church I pastored, there was a, a student in, in our church. He just loved the Lord, got very involved in the Lord. And he began to talk with me about, you know, I think that God might be calling me to preach. And then he told his mama, and she said, you can't be a preacher. You can't be a teacher. You can't be a preacher. They don't make any money. I don't know what he ended up. But what about you? If, if God called your child to be in ministry, how would you respond to it? So Jesus said to her, what do you want? What is your desire? And he did not scold her for her request, but he did remind her that there was a cost involved in verse number 22. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you are asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They said to him, we are able. Whatever we desire comes with a cost. 
Now, you young people, I want you to particularly pay attention to that fact. Whatever you desire comes with a cost. You want an education? It's going to cost. There was an article in the newspaper or a segment within the newspaper this last week as to how much it costs for higher education. You want to be successful? You want to run the company? It comes with a cost. Alden Palmer wrote, I have never known any man or woman to succeed in business or any profession who was jealous of the hours he gave to his job. A lot of people today want to be successful. They just don't want to pay the price to be successful. There is a cost that's involved. Health, if you want to be healthy, there is a cost in that. You have to go on, you know, watch your food, watch you eat. I've read someone who said that, uh, that vegetables and fruit is filled with bacteria. Therefore, you should deep fry it because nothing can withstand hot grease. <laughs> so you have to watch what you eat. You have to exercise. You have to do all those things. There's a cost that's involved. That's what I want you to understand. There is a cost involved. There is also a cost spiritually. If you're going to have spiritual, committed children, there is a cost that's involved. And there was for John and James. Jesus said, are you able to drink of the cup? And they said, yes, and they did. James was martyred because of his faith in Jesus. John was exiled, taken from the church where he pastored and was placed on Patmos where he spent the rest of his life. There was a cost that was involved. Paul paid the price. He was committed to the Lord, but there was a cost involved. There was a price to be paid. He suffered rejection in 2 Timothy 4.16. He said, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. Folks, let me tell you something. If you stand for Jesus Christ and you're committed to Jesus Christ, there is a cost involved, and sometimes it is rejection. Sometimes when you stand for the Lord, you're going to be rejected by people you should be able to count on. But Paul experienced rejection. He, he suffered. He said in 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And then he was martyred because of his faith in Jesus. Paul spent most of his ministry in a prison Because of his commitment to Christ, there was a cost that was involved. I want you to understand that to follow Christ, there is a cost. There is a cup to drink. And that's what Jesus said. He said, what do you wish? She said, I want one of my boys to be over here and one of my boys to be over there. And he didn't scold her for that. He said, but you need to understand there's a cost involved. Mothers want the best for their children, but understand there's a cost. And then mothers help their children. Salome believed in them. And wanted the best for them. And she helped them. You know what? I, I, I believe that you best help your children by preparing them for life rather than trying to protect them from life. Now, I, I understand that desire. I really do. And I know that there's a lot of you. And most of all, you want to protect your children from the things that can hurt them. And I understand that. But you can't. There's a lot of things out there you cannot protect your children from, so you do your best to prepare them for life rather than protecting them from life. How do you do that? Well, first, I think you instill confidence within them. 
Because one of the first things that is important, I think, with your children is that you teach them to stand for that that is right, even if no one else does. Peter Marshall said, he who stands for nothing will fall for anything. So teach your children to stand even when no one else does. Jonathan Edwards wrote in his diary at the age of 19, resolved that every man should live to the glory of God. Resolved that whether others do this or not, I will. Instill confidence within your children so that they can stand for God, they can stand for righteousness, even if others do not. Teach them how to receive correction. Our children must be taught to submit to proper authority. I know that's not popular, and it might not be with some of you, but it's still important. I was at the ball game the other night with Hughes and Pruitt, and Pruitt was playing third base. There was a guy trying to steal, and the, they threw the ball to Pruitt. Pruitt tagged him, and uh, the umpire called him safe. Well, Pruitt started to say something, and I could tell that he was. He gets it from his grandmother. And his coach came out and said, Pruitt, that's the call. I thought, now that is a coach. We need more like that. I mean, even, now, the guy was out. Now, I don't want to say, but he was out. (laughs) But it didn't make any difference. That was not the point. The lesson that was important is that the coach came out and said, that's the call. Our children need to learn to submit to authority. And that begins with submitting to the authority of parents. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 15, a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. A child who gets her own way brings shame to his mother. You see, children need to learn to respect the authority of the parents. Then they can respect the authority of other legal authorities such as teachers and policemen and so forth, and then they are easily able to submit to the authority of God. Folks, the reason we have so much rebellion against God is that the child grows up never respecting the authority of the parent, never respecting the authority of the teacher, never respecting the authority of the law, and therefore they don't respect the authority of God. They need to learn to respect legitimate authority. Give them courage. And they're going to need courage in this culture. Ellen Goodman wrote in the Boston Globe, and this is fascinating to me, it's not that American families have less time with their children. It's that we have to spend more of this time doing battle with our own culture. It's not that American families have less time with their children. It's that we have to spend more time doing battle with our own culture. We saw that this last week when the President of the United States came out in support of same-sex marriage. 
Now, I'm not going to get into that. This is Mother's Day, but let me say this as to what it means to you as a parent. When your child talks with you about such issues and you try to instill within them a biblical worldview, that child now is going to begin to say, Mom, Dad, what do you know about it when the most powerful man in the world has said it is to be accepted. And your job just got much more difficult. Teach them courage. Teach them commitment. Because we're raising a lot of kids today who know nothing about commitment. They can't keep a job. They don't stay married. And they don't stay committed to the Lord. Teach them commitment. So, very quickly, what do we learn from Salome? Mothers believe in their children. Love their children. Mothers believe in their children and they sacrifice for their children. Solomon Rosenberg, his wife, two sons, mother and father, were Jews who were arrested and placed in a Nazi concentration camp. The rule of the concentration camp said, as long as you can do your work, you are permitted to live. When you become too weak to do your work, then you are exterminated. As time went on, the mother and the father, because they were older, came to the place where they were no longer able to do their work, and so they were marched off to their death. Mr. Rosenberg was concerned about his youngest son, David, because he was a frail boy, and so he worried about him. One day he came back and he didn't see David, but he saw his older son, Joshua, who was in the corner crying and praying. And the father said, Josh, tell me it's not true. And Josh said, it's true, Papa. Today David was not strong enough to do his work, so they came for him. The father looked around and didn't see his wife, and he said, but where's your mother? And Joshua said, oh, Papa, when they came for David, he was afraid, and he cried. Mama said, there's nothing to be afraid of, David, and she took his hand and went with him. That's what mothers do. When our children look at life, sometimes they are afraid. And mom takes them by the hand and said, there's nothing to be afraid of. And then she leads them out to face life. But to do that, you have to come first. That's the reason in verse 20 it says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons. Moms, you're not going to be able to lead them in the ways of righteousness unless you know the Lord of righteousness. Do you? Our Father in God, we thank you for the example, the testament of Salome. And I thank you, Lord, for those mothers who have made such an impact for righteousness on our lives. I pray your blessings upon them. And Lord, today I pray for moms and dads who need to set the example for their children.
by giving their hearts to Christ, by being obedient to you, by being active in the church, by doing those things. Lord, help them. Lord, help us to raise godly children. And we know to do that, we must be godly ourselves. Bless this time of invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, uh, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing. We extend an invitation. If you're without Christ, today commit your life to Him. I pray you will. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.